Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor and subscribe to the John Kahn Report wherever you get your podcasts. And you can subscribe to us on YouTube, subscribe, like, at Empire Media, that's A-M-P-I-R-E. It would be much appreciated. Today, I'm joined by former Washington tight end Logan Paulson for another two-part interview. On this episode, we talk about receiver Terry McLaurin and the money. What it says about McLaurin that he's actually in Ashburn for these for reporting for these workouts, even if he's not going to participate on the field, and what it means for Chase Young to be working out here as well. Why these are important through Logan's eyes, but does it matter that players show up? Logan will explain, and he'll tell you why teammates didn't have a problem with Deshaun Jackson when he didn't show up. It runs counter to his image. It's also something I heard at the same time, so I knew that guys didn't have a problem with that. Finally, I start off by talking about Logan's soccer career. Yep. I'm also joined by former NFL scout Tyler Roman as we take a look deeper into the draft and he picks out some possible late round gems. You can follow Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82 and you can check out his mock draft currently up on the commander's website. Put a lot of work into that, folks. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at NFL Scout 21, and you can read my work on ESPN.com. I have a story up now about why safety Kyle Hamilton makes sense for Washington. Of course, I could write the same article about Drake London, Garrett Wilson, and Chris Olave. And London, I do believe, is their, would be their top receiver on the board. Then I believe it would be Olave. But really what makes the most sense to me is if they, if they can convince another team to move up and make a trade. Get some more picks. I keep saying this, rounds two through four. The draft has a lot of depth, and that's a good spot to be. Some of that depends on what happens to the quarterbacks. If they go top 10, does somebody fall out of the top 10 that you weren't expecting, and now they're there at 11? If you love the guy, you take the guy, and you don't worry about the trade. Because If you really, really like a guy, you can't assume that you can trade back and still get him. So if you trade back, you better have a couple guys in mind. They do like a few receivers in the first round. You can throw Jahan Dotson from Penn State under the list. And there are a few safeties they like after this point as well. Um, plus, I know a few of them. Plus, I know there's some old linemen in the first round that they like. Though in this range, I'm not quite sure who that would be. I wouldn't rule it out. I just don't know which one. I know offensive tackle Luca Decky visited here. My guess is that was as much about gathering medical medical information because there will be questions about his knee. So I don't know that he's the guy that they'd be interested in. I do think that was about a lot about collecting medical information. We'll see. And that's one area we haven't talked, about, talked a lot about, meaning the O-line, though Logan and I do discuss it because I'm all for adding another starter or another starter-level player up front. I would be surprised if they didn't add somebody up front. But keep in mind, there's, there's going to be another wave of acquisitions after the draft, as there were last year when they acquired Eric Flowers and Charles Leno. So think about that. 40% of their offensive line was acquired after the draft. Right now, if I drew up the list of wants and needs, it'd be receiver, safety, line, O-line, linebacker, running back. I also think another tight end and more D-line depth. And you know what? Let's throw a corner in there. I believe that's pretty much everything. But there, you know, what I do know is um, you want to address a lot of these. I will, let me back up for the linebackers. There are definitely linebackers they like after the first round. So all my talk, what I've been telling you about the Buffalo nickel, I don't, th- they still want to add somebody at linebacker. I just think it's the level of importance when you're looking at pick number 11, what's the value you're getting there. But I do, but I do know they'd still like to add somebody at that position. The draft when used properly 
is not the tool to fill every hole. It's to add talent that can be developed. You're going to get some high-end guys, of course, but then really it's about developing the guys, especially later in the draft. You draft a linebacker in the sixth round, sixth round, it's wrong to assume that it fills a hole right now, since picks in that round typically don't end up as starters, certainly not in your run, year one. Yes, it happens. It's rare. Find players that you think you can develop. That's why I'd look for some D linemen later in the draft, like they did last year with William Bradley King and Shaka Tony. This is a good well, they would like to have seen Tony and Bradley King develop more. So it wouldn't shock me if they add more competition for those two. Um, I think they felt like there was a plateauing of what those guys did last year. It's a deep draft for this spot. So, and I think when you're looking at what this team's going to have in the next few years along the D line, as far as money goes, you want to bring some, you want to get some young guys in there in case something goes wrong with whether you, with the ability to keep guys, or you just decide that you can't pay for linemen that much money. Um, so we'll see. Before I get to Logan, one word on the investigations. If you haven't read the stories from Monday, go back and do so. It's Washington's rebuttal or letter, its own letter to the FTC, basically trying to rebut what Congress sent to the FTC um, from using uh, Jason Friedman, the former uh, ticket ops employee, um, the senior VP over there. They rebutted some charges, showing some emails that they say prove, for example, that they weren't diverting money from a, from a 2014 Redskins game to the Navy-Notre Dame game that same year. Of the 105 pages they sent to the FTC, a number were signed affidavits. I know some of the committee felt like they merely poked holes in some arguments, but did not right refute them. That's their interpretation. I also know that they noted that Stephen Choi, the former CFO, whose emails were part of the documents, was not among those who signed an affidavit. Now, I haven't seen his name on either side, and I don't know why. He, I'm assuming he's talked to the committee. I don't. I have no clue what he told them. Um, I just know that they haven't named him, and neither has the other side, or at least not nothing signed in public. I have reached out to him, have yet to hear back. I do hope to have someone who has experience with the FTC on the podcast Friday to help make sense of this. I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm trying to get that. Um, I have talked to people from the FTC, but it's a matter of getting them to be on the record or, or somebody, people who used to work there. Some One person I talked to is a conflict of interest, so he can't go on. But go and read my story from Monday on the situation. As I told you, it's a long way from being over. I know there's a feeling on the Republican side that the FTC won't pursue this. I know when talking to some former FTC employees, again, last week, they weren't sure if they would. They weren't sure if the FTC would do this, and that was before Washington sent its letter. So we'll see. The FTC doesn't announce what it's investigating, and it still could be a local attorney general, whether in Maryland, D.C., or Virginia, who takes it on. But the committee now has washed its hands, the congressional committee has washed its hands, the financial impropriety accusations. That's what they did by sending it to the FTC. So they're going to resume the business um, back to what they wanted to do first, which was their own investigation into the workplace culture. It's not going any, it's not going away anytime soon, folks. So now you're caught up. Let's after this break, let's get back to football. So I'm going to be joined by former tight end Logan Paulson, the other sport he nearly went to college for, and why he's encouraged by seeing Chase Young out in Ashburn. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with former Washington tight end Logan Paulson. Again, you can check out his mock draft on the commander's website up now. 
Ogan, always, always a pleasure to bring you on. But I did have to tell you, okay, so I want I'm this is gonna be another two-parter, and we're gonna talk about team stuff first, and we'll talk about the draft in the second episode and your mock draft that you had that is now out and people can go and they can rip you for it because it's like, what are you thinking here? That's that's yeah. what's supposed to happen with mocks, right? That's just part of the that's part of the territory. But right. I always know it's informed one. But in Googling, I wanted to find out about your draft experience. So what it led <laughs> me to, what, well, what it led me to is going back even further, your induction into the Chaminade High School Hall of Fame, where you were in high school, <laughs> where I found out that you were a star soccer player. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, I was a I was a star soccer player. I had a scholarship to play soccer at like a local college out there, but I already committed to UCLA. I also ran track. I ran like uh, the 300 hurdles, the four by four and the 110 hurdles. And I was pretty competitive at the 300 hurdles. Um, you know, my four by four splits were like in the 52nd range, which is solid for high school. Like I used to be, I think people see me now and they're like, oh man, you're just kind of this big, you know, gorilla. And, um, you know, I used to have some, I used to have some athleticism to me back in the day. Um, but, you know, not quite so much anymore. So with the soccer though, how, I mean, you had like, that's a competitive area too. Like you had to have been pretty good. Why did you, was that a serious thing? Like, did you seriously consider going that route or? Yeah, I, I did. Like when I got into high school, like I was a soccer player first and I didn't know anything about football. I'd never played tackle football. And my dad, honestly, had signed me up. So I would have friends when I went into high school because he thought it was like a more normal kind of <laughs> high school sport. Um, and so, you know, I did, I did the football thing. Uh, and I wasn't very good at it. I didn't really like understand like the physicality element of it, but I think the soccer was really beneficial for me in terms of understanding space, you know, and understanding zones and understanding angles. Cause like a lot of kids had a really hard time, especially in high school sports of like understanding pursuit angles. And that was all stuff that came very natural to me. And then sitting in zones, that's a big part of soccer. And um, yeah. And it just, and as I got bigger and stronger, like my production got better on football and I kind of, I don't want to say I grew out of soccer because I think my senior year, I was about 215, 220 pounds, six, four, six, five ish. Um, You know, so I could have played soccer, but definitely my body was kind of transitioning more into that kind of more robust physical sport of football. See, I can just picture you now just like running through these these little tiny soccer players. You must have had like because, you know, obviously soccer players are kind of known for. They're flops. It <laughs> cause a lot of flops. Yeah, my dad. My dad grew up uh, playing hockey and played hockey in college at um, at MIT and then uh, BU. So you know, very physical sport, hockey, and he played back in the day with no helmets and no mouth guards and oh, wow. you know that kind of stuff. And so he was very adamant to me about you know make sure you never if I ever see you flop like we're going to take you out of the sport. And um, <laughs> and so I, I never flopped, but you know I was a big kid and guys would you know come barreling into me and like they'd fall down and I'd get the yellow and it was this big thing and everyone all the parents on the sideline would like talk in hushed whispers when I'd come on the field because everyone thought I was a goon you know and I wasn't the most skilled soccer player but I was very physical and I was big and I could run and I was very well conditioned and um, just lended itself to me being uh, very productive at the high school level in soccer. So and this is a little transition to Samus Reyes. Yep. Because you talk about understanding angles and zones and all that. He obviously was a basketball player. I know you're, you know, you transition at a different level, but there's got to be an understanding first to allow you to transition whatever level. Did your experience, like you've worked with him, do you, would you talk to him about angles and, you know, zones and maybe translating from one sport to another and how to translate that? You're always trying to draw connections and parallels because like you're trying to just find ways to speak the same language. Like I lived with a guy when I was in Atlanta on the team there who played rugby, you know, so you're always trying to kind of verbalize some connection to something that they know. And it makes it easier when the sport has some type of connection. Everyone thinks oh, rugby and, you know, um, football are very similar, but they're actually very dissimilar. Like rugby is probably more similar to soccer, you know. So with basketball, there are some similarities in terms of how you want to, you know, kind of protect the ball, attack the ball with your hands. You know, you do box out, you know, like you have different ways of playing defense. And I find that defense when talking basketball specifically translates really well to football, even in blocking, because you understand how thick you need to be on the man, you know, in terms of playing defense, like you can't be kind of on a half a man. And it's the same thing with blocking. You got to kind of take a full big chunk of the guy, your screws have to be on his screws. And I find that that stuff is helpful to kind of internalize just position. And obviously you need to get into the more technical nuance of like hand placement, foot placement, how to generate power from the ground, all those things. But as long as you have some kind of starting point from your other sport, you know, at a high level, you play basketball at a very high level in Chile. 
um, and he played college basketball here. Like that is at least some, it helps kind of move the process along. Have you seen, did, could you see him understanding some of the, the, what you're trying to get across just because you could translate like that or he could. Yeah, absolutely. And he, you know, obviously like a lot of credit has to go to him because these guys are tremendous athletes, you know, and they, they're tremendous athletes for a reason. And they're kinesthetic learners. Usually they learn in a very physical way. So the more time he would spend with the task and the more times we would communicate, it just, when you're coaching good athletes, they pick up stuff very quickly. You know, it's, it, it, I coach high school football. I do a lot of personal training and the more athletic the kid, the easier those um, adaptations come. And so Sam East is one of the best athletes in the entire world. And so obviously like that transition is not super overwhelming for him. They, they obviously could use another tight end here. Can he, where do you think he can develop? You know, like how much more can he develop this year as far as like, taking a step to get to where he could be a reliable third, or do you still look at him and say, it's going to take another year or so because it, it is really, really, really hard. Yeah. So I think the thing with him, and I think you said like reliable third, I think he's in that role right now. I think you have a third guy who can block well. And I, you know, I was actually, I thought his transition would go pass game to run game, but it's kind of gone the other way. It's gone run game to pass game. And so I think as he gets more comfortable with pass concepts and understanding, I think he's going to be more productive in the pass game. But I think he's shown a really nice physicality. And I think that's really hard to teach. And I think as long as he has a coach that can kind of push him technically, he's going to develop really quickly. Because if you watch him from game one, preseason game one of last year to the last game of him on the team, like at least he looks like he knows what's going on. And that's a huge element. He's going to have this whole offseason to get better. He, I think he can be – I don't know. He's not going to be like the best tight end in the NFL or anything like that. But he's going to be a guy who can contribute – on special teams, contribute in specific situations, and kind of flush out a role like in a, at a high level. And it's always nice to have a guy with that athletic surplus in one of those backup roles. You know what I mean? Because he's just going to grow and get better. And um, and it's nice because he's not kind of redshirting this year. He's going to be able to contribute while he's still growing at the position. Well, he also had there were there were a couple of plays he had on special teams late yep. in the year where I think he I just remember him drilling somebody along the sidelines. How much? But when when a guy's trying to get comfortable, how much can that that experience just on special teams help him gain a different comfort level that can translate then to offense eventually? Yeah, I think special teams is a funny spot because it's it takes the most probably physical courage, but the least like intellectual aptitude. And so what I mean by that, it's like an area where you're just big, strong and fast. And if you're not afraid to hit somebody, you're going to be successful. And so you're stripping back kind of all the raw technique that's required to play football at a high level and saying hey block this person go cover this kick or just run down defeat this block and that's just kind of that's just being an athlete that's being big that's being physical so it kind of lets them play in these like very high velocity situations these high intensity situations and I think they kind of say like um it's not too physical for me I can do these plays I can be I can contribute here and I think that that's all um all very important for, for the development of an athlete in terms of confidence and kind of knowing that you can play at a high level. Like when I was a rookie here, I played a lot on punt return and punt and all these different special teams. And it just gets you in the game a little bit more, right? You kind of hear the calls, you understand the speed with which guys are playing. I think that's a big element. Okay. Special teams tends to be a little bit more ticked up in terms of speed of play. And so when you're out there and then you get on offense or defense, you're like, oh, this is a little bit more tempered. It's slightly different, but it's a little bit different. And so just getting exposed to that speed and getting comfortable at that speed, it helps you digest and helps you develop more confidence on offense or defense, whatever you're doing. And I know they're, they're hoping that it translates for Deami Brown too, because yep. he, he did some gunner stuff, you know, in, in your experience with receivers, can that, is it a little, would it be the same for him or different or, you know, I know there's always talking about getting off the line and you have to be more physical, but it did seem like he developed a little more physically yeah. playing that role. I think, uh, you know, for me, one of my big points, you, you mentioned the mock draft, one of my big points of evaluation in the receivers is do they play special teams and what do they do on special teams? Because usually receivers are kind of, uh, you know, this is a big generalization because there's obviously exception to every single rule, but there's they're, they're kind of prima donnas. They're not super tough. They're not super physical. And one of the things about transitioning the NFL, it's one of the reasons like I'm kind of down on Chris Olave as I wonder about his physicality is that everyone's very physical at the NFL level. So for Diami to go out and play gunner for an NFL team, go against those double teams, go against those double vices where you just have to literally kind of fight for your life. If you've never seen a, a vicious vice on a gunner, like you have not seen like what the NFL is about. Those guys are ruthless out there. And so when you get a guy who has the physical 
traits to get it done and also the physical courage to get it done. I think that lends itself to a guy who can be a pretty solid football player offensively. And I think it kind of conditions them to the physical elements of playing offense in the NFL against these high level cornerbacks. So I, I do think, you know, Ron has mentioned that a whole bunch of times, you know, everyone in the building mentions his, how he performed on special teams. And I understand why that's important in terms of development. Now that doesn't, that doesn't mean he's going to be the number two this year, right. but it means he's going to be a guy who can contribute to this team, whether it's the three, the four, you know, a guy with some special teams ability and a guy with a nice physicality. And that's a big deal from a third round pick who took a little bit of time to get going last year. Definitely took some time. And I think, I think there's some things that he, oh, there's my phone. I think there's some things he can do. He certainly can, he can certainly help a lot more than he did, did last year. Looking at like, they obviously reported to practice or yep. workouts this week. I keep saying workouts this week. <laughs> How big a deal is it that Chase, you know, there was a lot of talk about Chase Young not being there last year. How big a deal is it for him to be there? I think it's a huge deal. I mean, I, I'm old school in this regard. Like I was a guy and you know this, John, like I never missed anything. I never had the luxury of missing anything. And there are guys who have the luxury, you know, I think we talked about Deshaun Jackson before the show started and how, you know, certain guys can miss and they're okay. But, you know, in terms of like getting comfortable with the scheme, like this is part of that kind of integration process into the offense, right? They're going to start reviewing clips. They're going to start reviewing techniques. They'll review some film from last year. It is a workout session, but they do have like an hour and a half of meetings. And so in those meetings, like that's time where you kind of reacclimate yourself with the verbiage of the offense, the different techniques coaches wants, the language, the defense or the offense is communicating it. And it's this nice kind of integration period into the stuff, which is phase two next week, where you get on the field for individual work. And then phase three, which is more practice-based stuff. And then in the practice-based stuff, I think that's extremely advantageous because you're seeing NFL rushers. Like when I train NFL defensive ends, I'm out there trying to give them pass rush looks. It's much more advantageous for them to put a helmet on, put the shoulder pads on, do some one-on-ones, do some reps, feel the length, feel the physicality of those players, even if it's at 80%, just to kind of get themselves ready for training camp. So again, like I'm old school in that regard, but I do think you're never going to get better practice than going against NFL talent. And so phase three, I think that's a big deal, but also just hearing the language at, at a bare minimum. And then not to mention his rehab, being involved with the team, being around the team for the rehab process. They know where he's at. They know what he's capable of. They're not going to rush him back as if, you know, like sometimes when they're at outside facilities, these guys, the communication gets a little bit dicey and they don't know where the player's at here. They know exactly what's going on. They can handle his rehab better. And I just think it's it's probably better for everybody. You brought to Sean. Would guys like? Do guys care, or how much do guys care when others miss? You know, and it doesn't depend on who it is and what they do on Sundays. Like you said, it depends on the guy, right? There are certain guys, like Deshaun's a perfect example. Like he didn't, he would never come to OTAs, anything that was non-mandatory. But when he came here, he never made any mental mistakes, and he was always kind of that home run, big play threat. And so, as much as it kind of got in my craw as a player, like a guy, I had to do everything to be in the NFL. Like I understood that his physical talent allowed him to do things that I could not get away with. Right. And if Deshaun came in and was like messing stuff up, you know, running the wrong route, you know, not in good shape, kind of nursing an injury or something, I think that would be more concerning, but he always came in ready to go. And when you have that level of talent and that level of kind of, um, you know, clout within the organization, I think that's okay. And, and I know a lot of people, a lot of fans don't understand that, but in the context of an NFL locker room, I think that that is something that culturally, culturally is kind of locker room dependent and guy dependent. And, um, you know, Shannon Sharp never, Mike Shannon used to say this all the time, Shannon Sharp never went to OTAs, but he was always in perfect shape and he knew the offense when he came time to, to execute. So as long as you do those things and as long as you're ready to perform, like performance is the ultimate judge, and people need different things to perform. And if they don't need that and they're performing at a high level, I understand that. With Deshaun, Deshaun kind of defined the word chill. Don't you, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting with Deshaun, though. Like uh, I had a conversation with coaches, you know, when he was here and I was always kind of like, man, Deshaun this, Deshaun that, because because we're very different in terms of our approach and preparation. And, um, and I had a coach tell me that, you know, Deshaun, if you, if Deshaun like would pretend to sleep in meetings or whatever, but he would say like, Deshaun never gets a question wrong when you ask him, he never has a misalignment or misassignment. So I don't know if he just wanted to kind of purvey this kind of chill or relax. Or I think he of, likes to give off that kind of demeanor and attitude. Aloof demeanor, but like for, for all of his stuff, like he wouldn't be in the NFL if he wasn't an outstanding pro on the field and in practice and games 
he understood what was happening and he understood his opponent and he, and he did some type of preparation. I don't know what it was. It wasn't the same as my preparation, but it got him ready to go. And so um, I think that's something to consider when, when kind of referencing Deshaun. Well, I, he was one of my favorites to talk to because I always felt like he was, I think he's a smart guy. Right. Um, and I know that he, I know what he would do and, and I know that he would produce and yeah. that's what you'd always hear. Well, he knows the offense and he doesn't make the mistake. So what are you going to say? He, he comes in prepared, but I always enjoy dealing with Deshaun. I got a kick out of him. So I, I enjoy that. Um, but the other guy speaking of uh, going at with receivers, Terry McLaurin, yeah. who we know he wants an, ex- he's going to get an extension at some point or whatever happens happens. But I, I would be shocked if he doesn't get one here. Yeah. Shocked before, but he's showing up despite not have, despite wanting that not going to participate on the field in those practices, but he'll be here. What does that mean? So I appreciate that. You know, he's in a tough situation with the team and obviously people have different perspectives within the organization, I'm sure. And Terry has different perspective on how he should be treated in this situation. But I think that's a sign of a true professional, right? You're not getting exactly what you want from a financial standpoint. I think everyone in the building knows he deserves to be compensated. It's just about to the level with which he should be compensated. And, um, and as a player and as a teammate and seeing a captain who is going through this kind of this difficult kind of professional element of your career for him to come and kind of show you show me that he's ready to go, that he's going to be in meetings. And to me, that's the most important part. Like I know Terry's going to be in shape, but to be in meetings, to be studying, to be prepping. um, I respect the heck out of that, you know, and I think a lot of guys in the locker room will too. I think, you know, maybe some of the young guys won't understand the financial element, but definitely the kind of meat of that locker room will understand that he's actually going above and beyond. He's here when he doesn't have to be, He's kind of showing his displeasure by not participating in a non-mandatory event, but he's here. Um, but he's here supporting us, participating in the in the in the in the classroom stuff, which is very important. Obviously, the you guys understand the business of football. When you got a guy like that on your roster, how important is it to keep that guy, knowing how others might perceive him? And you know, and just like, do how much do other guys pay attention to? Are they going to take care of Terry or not? Well, I think the thing interesting with Terry, and I've talked to you about this before, is like, I don't know if he's like, I'm probably going to get roasted for this, but I don't know if he's like a top 10 or top 15 receiver. He's a very, very good football player. But I think the thing that really adds his value is the cultural fit here. I think he's a guy who is the, the truest understanding of what it means to be professional, right? I've never heard one criticism levied against Terry. You know, he just goes in and does his work. And that, to me, has value. And as a player who's played with guys like that, that has value. And I want to see guys like that rewarded because I, and if I'm Ron or if I'm the leadership of the, the commander's organization, like I want to reward that because I want other players to look and say, oh, if I handle myself like Terry, I will also get rewarded. And, you know, Terry has tremendous on-field production to support that as well. And that's why he should get paid. But I just think like there's a, um, a leadership uh, culture element that Terry brings that is is very, very valuable. And that's why, you know, I would say kind of fight to keep him here. You know, obviously if he wants to be the highest paid receiver in the NFL, like, no, that's just right. not reasonable. I don't think he wants that from what I understand. Yeah. Um, I no, I don't think he would. I don't think that's not what I've heard. And so, and so I'm not saying that, but you know, obviously like I think you, you should be compensated. And it's just about the value of that kind of extracurricular element, you know, that intri- that, um, that, that non-concrete measurable and what that means to the team. I think it's very valuable, especially with a guy who's had the production he's had, um, but we'll see what happens. How much can a guy like that, how much will he help Carson Wentz just because of not just that he's a good receiver, but because of his approach as well? Yeah, I think it's always nice, especially for quarterbacks, to have guys that you trust. Like I just think back to the guys that were really good pros, you know, like, um, you know, say what you want about Jay Cutler, say what you want about Matt Ryan. Uh, they were guys who were good professionals. Deshaun Watson, again, lots of legal stuff there. But one of the things they valued most in their receivers was not the biggest, strongest, fastest playmaker. They valued trust, right? And one thing about Terry when you watch him is that you can trust him. You know that he's going to run the route the way it's supposed to be run. And that's something that quarterbacks value. They want to know where the player's going to be in the position he's going to be in. And um, and I remember Matt Ryan like going nuts with guys, young guys saying like, if I can't trust you, I will tell them to cut you from the team, you know? And like, that's a very impactful statement. I remember Jay Cutler yelling at the receivers in, uh, 
in uh, in Chicago when I was there because they weren't being very disciplined with their route stuff. They didn't know what to do. And I don't think any of those issues are there with Terry. And it just allows you to settle in and be confident. I think Carson Wentz, you know, his relationship with Michael Pittman was well documented and the trust level he had and how he'd always go to him. But that's because he knows and he believes in him. It's the same thing with Tom Brady. They all have their favorites. And it's not necessarily the most dynamic guy. It's the guy they trust. Aaron Rodgers and Alan Lazard, I think, is a fantastic yeah. example, right? He's he's always fighting for Alan Lazard. And Alan Lazard is not, you know, the best receiver in the NFL. He does the little things really well, but he's also where Aaron wants him to be and Aaron trusts him. And so I think having a guy like that for Carson, just kind of in the building already, knows the offense, handles himself well, is going to work with Carson to get better. Um, I think just allows Carson to be at his best, and that's what you want. On Carson. What, what When you look at this receiving core, what do they need to add to make him more effective? Yeah, I think I think when I look at Carson and his history, I think when he's got a lot of playmakers um, and guys who can catch the ball that is a little off target with outstanding hands, I think that's something that makes him better. And I look at like Alshon Jeffrey, for example, during his time in Philadelphia, kind of this big body, slower receiver who Drake London gets comp to quite a bit. Um, Logan Thomas is another one, outstanding hands, nice, big physical frame who can catch like off, off frame targets. So like stuff that's not right down the middle, right. Guys who can kind of move their hands around and catch the football. I think having a guy like that here, Terry's got a little bit of that to his game, right? So that's always important. Finding a guy like that, that could support him, I think is, is great. And also finding guys who can just get open in a, in a big way is, is huge for him. <clears throat> he just needs playmakers. Um, to elevate him. And I think finding somebody like with excellent hands, because he's not the most accurate dude in the world. And what I mean by that is like, he's going to throw it to you. And you're going to know it's to you, but like, is it going to be two feet to your left, two feet to your right, a foot above your head. And Pittman did a great job of maximizing those touches when he was in Indianapolis and other guys like T Y Hilton, for example, is not, no, he's a great football player, obviously, but not known for being able to catch balls at high velocities outside of his frame. So finding guys that can support that skill set or that deficiency in Carson's game, I think would be really important. Last thing um, for this, um, the offensive line. Yep. Where, where are they at with that? Do, you, do, they, do they have a starting right guard on this roster? Do they need to add that still? Yeah, so I was listening to something. Uh, I think Daniel Jeremiah was doing a mock draft. They were talking about the Washington football team, and he said something that I totally agree with. They are graded very well by PFF. But when you watch them, there are some kind of deficiencies in terms yeah. of movement and creating and creating um, moving the line of scrimmage in, in a way that helps the running back. And um, I think finding some way to upgrade that group and finding guys who are physical up front is going to be really, really important um, because they, they do a lot of inside zone. They, they, they've said that they want to get to more outside zone game, which I think would be great for them, kind of diversify the profile. But last year they ran. I mean, I felt like it was 60, 70% inside zone and you need guys who are road graders and nasty guys who are very technically sound. And so I think finding ways to, to upgrade that position, obviously what Schweitzer that's in his DNA. Um, uh, what's his name? Norwell, the guy they just signed yeah. is, is a little bit like that. Very technical. I think he's going to upgrade just from like a tight zone run blocking yeah. standpoint. But I also think, you know, if you got to move, like we've talked about this before, finding like a, there's some massive human beings that play guard in this draft that can be really neat, not like really mean and, and upgrade this position. I think finding guys like that are going to be really, really beneficial. So yes, I think you need to upgrade the offensive line. I think you need to upgrade physicality. I think you need to upgrade like just the mindset because of the style that they run. If they were running like a Kyle Shanahan offense, I'd say maybe not so much because you can kind of game plan around that group, but here they're, they're demanding that those guys be very physical people movers and that's difficult. So you need to make sure you got the horses up front to get that done. Logan, you're the best. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. After this break, I'll be back with former NFL scout Tyler Roman as we dive into some possible later round gems for Washington. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Guys, if you're looking for that extra confidence when it's time to have a little bit of fun, 
let me tell you about bluechew.com. Bluechew is a unique online service. It delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it comes in chewable form and it's at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets will help you combat all forms of ED. Plus, it's an online prescription service. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is really simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days, and the best part, all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers are going to work with you to find the right ingredient and the strengths for your personal subscription. Plus, their tablets are made in the United States. They prepare, they ship direct, and it's so much cheaper than going through a pharmacy. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, to receive your first month free, and we thank Blue Chew for being a sponsor of our show. Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with former NFL scout Tyler Roman. Tyler, I always like talking about some of the late-round guys because not everything's going to be – not all these home runs are hit in the first couple of rounds, right? So you get the cam curls in the seventh round. You get – guys who make an impact later in the draft. And that's how I think teams can start to separate themselves. So that's what I want to talk about today. And so first of all, in general, we're going to go back to a couple of different positions, but in general, are there a couple of guys that regardless of position, you say, I really like this guy late. Uh, the guy that I really like is Damon Pierce from Florida. Um, he's probably going to be day three, um, fourth, fifth round, in my opinion. He's just a bruiser of a runner. He's 5'10", 218. I love that he has very low mileage on him. He's never had more than 106 carries at Florida, um, but he has the 11 touchdowns last year, even with those 106 carries. So that's what a touchdown every 10 carries. You got to like that average. Antonio Gibson had a similar kind of touchdown average carry when he was in Memphis. So Damon Pierce is a guy I really like because I think they need a bruising running back. I think that's what they had in Peyton Barber. Or that's what they liked in Peyton Barber. And if they get a guy like Pierce to pair with Gibson and McKissick and even Jarrett Patterson, I think they really good, you know, pick for Washington later in the and draft. That's what, and that's what I was going to ask you to fit here because you're right. I think, not that Peyton Barber was some awesome running back, but the role that he filled is one that they, they really didn't have somebody to fill that role. And so you, and plus like you're bringing in a guy like Kenneth Walker for a visit, he's a power guy. So you're looking at that, but so where you think Pierce would be available in the fourth, fifth round area. Where do you think? Yeah, that's my opinion. Just because we look at the NFL today, they want guys that can do a little bit of everything, catch out of the backfield. That's not really Damon Pierce's forte. He's not a guy that really gets a lot of looks out of the backfield and in the pass game. So I think it's going to have him slide a little bit, um, put him more to, like I said, that fourth or fifth round range. And Washington has a fourth round pick, you know, that first, you know, uh, in day three. So that's someone I would look at. I, like I said, I just love his love, uh, running style. Even the senior bowl, he was seeking contact. He was trying to run over guys and, you know, get every yard he could. And, you know, like I said, just seeking that contact. That's kind of the runner you like. And especially since this team needs a bruiser, take some mileage off Antonio Gibson because he had a lot of carries last year towards the end of the year. And you to keep him fresh and, you know, for the longevity of his career, they need another guy to switch pace with him. And, and, and that's the thing, that this does not indicate a disliking or displeasure with Antonio Gibson. This is about getting this guy productive and healthy for a longer time. Just like you yep. look at Cleveland with Chubb and – and, and that running in Kareem Hunt and, and the backs that they have there, it's all about keeping guys being able to go and maximizing their effectiveness for an extended period of time. Is there another right. running back? He's not there. They can't get him. Is another running back late that you like? A couple would be Brian Robinson Jr. from Alabama. I mean, he's a bigger name from Bama. Uh, obviously, you know, he had a good senior year. He was a guy that really waited his turn in Alabama behind all the other guys that were the five-star recruits. And Robinson, you know, waited his turn to his fifth year. Um, he had over a thousand yards last year, double digit touchdowns. Um, he has less mileage on him, just like I say, because he didn't have many carries his first, first three years of his career. Um, he's probably going to go day three as well, just because he's not really that big of out, out of the backfield threat. Another guy that can pair with as like a bruising type for um, for Antonio Gibson. And lastly, a guy that you saw as an Ohio State fan going against him, Asan Haskins from uh, Michigan. Yeah. Um, he's not a bruising type, but he's a guy that he, he was productive all four years he's in Michigan. Good back. Exactly. He, he can do a little bit of everything. I like him. Um, he's another guy probably on day three that you know, the team could look at if they're still trying to fill that role. Another position would be to me, because I don't think to go high on this one, but tight end. You need to get another tight end in here. 
And they do like those guys. Like when you look at the stable of tight ends they have, there's a lot of converted guys except for John Bates. Um, Ricky yeah. Seals-Jones last year was a converted guy and, you know, obviously Logan Thomas. Um, so who are some guys that may intrigue you at that spot later in the draft? Uh, one would be Charlie Kohler from Iowa State. Um, he's a guy I think is going to be an early day three pick. He's a huge dude, 6'6", 252. He's a big target with natural soft hands for a guy that size, solid blocker for that size. I mean, he's a, you know, the height of a tackle really. So, and he knows how to, he knows how to use his body too when it comes to you know, middle of the field target, shooting off defenders. So I like that about him. He was productive last year, uh, 62 catches, 756 yards and six touchdowns. Um, so he's someone that I think they could look at. They need more depth at position. We don't know when Logan's going to come back, obviously. And like you said, John Bates had a good rookie year and who knows what Samus race is going to be at this point. But, um, and then another one, kind of wild card because he didn't play much last year it's james mitchell from virginia tech he was a guy that had a really good junior year or excuse me sophomore year because junior year either way he's a guy that was productive at tech he could do a little bit of everything he returned punts for tech you could see his he has some versatility back there and he can play in the slot he can play on the outside they use they line him up at receiver a lot um and again he's going to go a little later just because he didn't play he tore his acl i think at week two um so he's you know coming off of it obviously he might not be ready week one or close to it but he's a guy that has some potential um, if someone harnesses it and gives him, give him some opportunities because at Tech, he was a go-to target there for in 2020. Did Bates – how did he play as far as, like, based on what you saw of him coming out? Was he better, same, about what you expected? What did you think? He was better than I thought. You know, honestly, I'll admit, when they made that pick, I was more high on Brevin Jordan from Miami last year, but um, just because I liked his pass catching pace capability. But John Bates, he did what I expected him to be. He was a good blocking threat from day one. He did. He was good, uh, good in the run game, efficiently in the run game. And he impressed me as the year went on as he got more pass opportunities. You know, when Ricky Seal Jones went down after Logan, he had to become the number one tight end or whatever. So gave Taylor some more, Taylor gave him some more reps. And I loved, he had some more wiggle after the catch than I expected. I, I go back to that Dallas game, obviously it was a horrible game on Sunday Night Football, but he broke a couple tackles and, you know, got, um, made a 20 yard catch down the sideline, actually got a late hit on him as well. But either way, that it showed me that he has some, you know, more talent and more potential to tap into as a pass catcher. That may have been the only play in that game that was worth talking about from Washington's perspective. I agree, for sure. It was a good play. It was, you know, because I think he broke a few tackles and all that. But um, Exactly. And is it, do you look at this class of tight ends as being a good class? Is there depth to this class this year or that? Um, there's, you know, eight or nine, 10-ish guys that I'm, I think could be solid contributors in the NFL. That's a solid number. I mean, it's not like it's not in, when you look at the wide receiver position, other positions, the tackle position, those guys are going 20 deep in this draft. Or you think it could be a solid contributor. So it's, it's you know, in the middle for me. There's you can be some guys going today, early day three, four or five. that I think it'd be at least a rotational tight end for you, tight end two. So, again, there's there's some pieces there, not the strongest tight end draft. But again, there's some options for Washington to look at early in day three. They, they obviously want to fortify the offensive line. So. There are some linemen higher in the draft that I think they would be definitely tempted by. Mm -hmm. But how is it like what they need first and foremost is a guard and how they get there? You know, they need to get a guard who is, well, they, that would be, let me say this. They don't need to. I know they have some guys that they, they like Schweitzer and Sadiq Charles. I think Sadiq Charles is an intriguing guy still here. I wouldn't dismiss him as a possible starter, but yeah. even if they, if they see him as a starter, they still want to build that line depth. So who are some, you know, interior linemen later in the draft, if they don't get one in those first couple of rounds, who's someone later that could, should be tempting for them? Well, a guy that I like, and I think he could be a third round pick, but this team doesn't have a third round pick, um, would be Cole Strange from Chattanooga. Um, I think they trade back. I think I really like him. He's a nasty, nasty dude. He loves to finish blocks with some, you know, some attitude, obviously coming from a smaller school. You like that he's able to you know, compete and have that edge to him come to the NFL. That's obviously a little higher than talking about late round gems, but another guy would be Spencer Buford from Texas San Antonio. Yeah. Um, he's a little for a guard at 293 well he's going to move to guard because kind of better position he was more of a tackle at uh, utsa but he's versatile can play tackle and guard another guy i liked he was a good senior bowl week and then um going back to that tech well lasitis smith from um virginia tech 63 321 another guy a strong run blocker tech ran the ball a lot in the last two years and he was a guy that he was a really good puller I mean, he was pretty solid in the past game as well. He's probably more of a fourth or fifth round pick as well and that's obviously where the sweet spot it seems like this team will be looking at guard at this point now they don't have a fifth round pick but again, if they trade back, they could pick up some more options in the fifth and even the third round if they trade down in the second round. So um, there are some guys that I'm looking at. I haven't looked at as much as tackle because I think this team is solid at tackle. But, you know, hearing from you and even Brand, it seems like maybe it is a play at 11. So maybe they're, they are looking at tackle. But as of right now, obviously, I think guard is the biggest need, like you said. I'm, I'm a, I am a Charles fan, but like you said, they need some more depth regardless. Yeah, and I think the only way you take a tackle is if a guy that you absolutely love falls to you at 11 
And then you yep. say, you know what, if you let's, and the really wild scenario that, you know, Ekam, um, Ekwanu from North Carolina State falls to 11. It ain't yep. happening, but let's say it does. <laughs> Jonathan Allen wasn't going to 17, but let's say in the wild scenario, well, then you, then you can take him. And if you wanted to move Cosme inside, now you have an athletic side. That's the scenario where you could see if they did something. But otherwise, you're getting a guard. And otherwise, you could get a guy that you say, well, he was a tackle here. We're, gonna, we're going to move him to guard. That would be their thinking. I'm not saying we, they are. Um, but yeah. you know what I mean, so like that's, so yes. So I think there's a scenario where you could see it, but typically it's going to be build the interior line depth with some later picks. Yeah, I agree. That's, you know, and so, um, you know, that, that would be um, another one. Linebacker is on obvious need. And I know that 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 Buffalo nickel package that, you know, getting somebody to fill that role is of high importance, but they still need linebackers and they still want to get linebackers. So who are some guys, you know, and they're not going to I don't I'd be really surprised if they took one to 11. You never know. But like the only guy there is Lloyd. And I just it's hard to see that. Who are some guys later that if they don't get some of those guys early in the draft that you say, here's a good here's a good fit for them? Well, the guy that I really like, but his pro day kind of probably boosted him higher than I expected him at first would be Leo Chanel from Wisconsin. Oh, um, yeah, 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 I think you're right. Yeah, so I had him, you know, probably early day three, and now he might be mid-day two, late day two, but I still wanted to give him a shout-out. I mean, he's with a 6'3", 250, really good size in the middle, um, downhill linebacker, good versus the run. Um, he's a guy that I think, you know, maybe they could trade down a little bit in the second, try to pick him up in the third. Um, like I said, a great pro day elevated stock at a great 40 time. Um, he's just a strong dude. Like, he does not get moved at all by guards or anything. So I do like that part of his game. Um, he had 96 tackles and eight sacks last year. And this one, the other one is going to be a later pick, and it's more of a wild card, and I'm sure fans don't want to hear it because his injury just had a pretty serious injury. And that's Damone Clark from LSU. Yeah. Um, he's a, I like him, and he had some good film. He had a really good year last year. Um, it's just that he, is, unfortunately, has a pretty serious injury, back injury that he's coming off that he's got to deal with. Looks like he's probably going to miss most of you know this rookie year. But, you know, you had a great stat, I think, last podcast. They only met, used three linebackers, 70, 65 plays or whatever it was. Right. So if they're late on a guy like that, they could have a starting linebacker in 2023 or 2024 going forward because Clark has a lot of potential, and he's coming from a really good, you know, pedigree of LSU defense and LSU linebackers. So I had someone that I would look at. Maybe you can get him in the sixth or seventh round based off his, you know, injury scare. Um, but he's a guy that he's more of a second or third round talent to me. But if you can get him late on day three, I think it's a steal. Yes, you're put, holding your breath that he's going to be fully ready to go in 2023. But I think if, you, if you're comfortable with the medical, I think it's definitely worth pulling the trigger that late in the draft. Yeah. And even if they only use the three linebacker sets, you know, it's not a ton every game. There are some games where they use it more. Some teams where, you know, where they, they use it a lot more last year, the Eagles last year, for example, because they're going to run the ball a lot. Um, you still need to get linebackers here because they don't have, even if you only start play with two, a lot of time, they need more guys who can play because exactly. there was, there was too much of a drop off um, when certain guys went out. And so that, that to me, regardless, you have to find guys for that role. Last spot sure. I want to talk about receivers because this is another one area. Now I do think this goes higher in the draft, but yeah. Who knows? Because every year they're like, oh, I didn't see that coming or I did. I thought it was going to go like this. And you know how you know how this draft process worked. There's a lot of years like there was a year where um, I think they were convinced they weren't going to take a receiver in the first round because they were going to take somebody else. It was Ryan Kelly. They want to take him. And guess what? They traded back and took a receiver. And it was there was like a not going to take one there. But the guy they liked fell into was there for them. Now it happened to be Josh Doxson. It wasn't a good pick. It wasn't just Scott McLuhan who liked him, but um, still. So my point is you get surprised, but yep. let's say they don't take one early. Who are some guys in the like, third round and beyond who could be, who would be tempting um, and should be picked? Well, a guy I really like just because I like his position flex and versatility is Wondell Robinson from Kentucky. Um, I think he can be in the third or fourth round. I think he might, I think he was listed at 5'10 or 5'11 in Kentucky, and then the combine he measured at 5'8. So that's going to might scare some teams off. He's 178, but he's a dynamic playmaker in space. Very shifty, um, can make anyone miss an open field. He's a tough dude. He goes over the middle for you. I saw him get knocked out, I think, in the bowl game, and he came out a couple plays later and had the game-winning touchdown. So I love that you know competitive edge that he has of him. 
And like I said, he can play a little bit of the backfield. He's elite change the direction skills, in my opinion. Uh, but he had 104 catches and over 1,300 yards last year. And he played a Kentucky SEC, you know, experience. He actually started his first two years at Nebraska before transferring to Kentucky. But he's a guy like he's more of a slot receiver. And obviously, I don't know what their plans for Curtis, if he's going to play slot again now or play outside or what. But Wanda Robinson is a guy oh. they could have. Yeah. But I mean, Robinson, I think they do a little bit both, too. So and then lastly would be uh, Romeo Dubs from Nevada. Um, he's a guy 6'2", 200 pounds, more of that height, weight, speed kind of you're looking at. Strong hands, um, doesn't shy away from contact, really good awareness too where he's out on the field, um, conscious of you know where defenders are, especially in zone coverage. Um, he had a good rapport with Carson Strong, and he also has special team ability. He's a guy that can play gunner. He can play as a punter returner. If you're picking a guy in the fifth round or so, you want that. You want that guy that can do more because he's not going right. to get a lot of reps. So, you know, he had over 2,100 yards and 21 touchdowns these last two years. So he has a good production there in Nevada with Carson Strong. And like I said, I just like that he can play both teams as well because if you're picking some late in draft, you're going to want him to do that. Right. What about and the guy that I'm interested in, too, is Alec Pierce, because I think he's like, do you think he's a third round guy or is he a do you think he'll go higher than that? I think third round's right. I think it's I think it's probably where he's going. I think he ran quicker than I expected at the combine. I, you know, I mean, obviously um, his tape was good. I'm not saying it wasn't, but I didn't speed to see that speed for him. That's only going to elevate his stock a lot, too, obviously. So, you know. I think he could go a little higher just because we see, I mean, here are all these reports that the receivers are going to, there's going to be a run starting in that 15 to 20 range. So let's say there's somehow go seven or eight court receivers go in the first round. Then of course that's going to push Pierce closer to the second. Um, Cause then obviously he's going to, he's in that little, you know, group of guys like the George Pickens of the world, a uh, sky Moore, um, and Christian Watson might be a little above those guys now too, but Pierce is right there. I mean, Pierce had a really good, you know, career with um, Desmond Ritter and they had a really good rapport um, so I think Pierce, yeah, I think he's a quality receiver, maybe high end potential of a number two receiver. Um, but again, I think I think you're right. Probably third round pick is a good safe bet for him. Tyler, great information. Tell people where they can find you these days. Uh, you can find me on the Roman Around the League podcast. And you can also find my work at Hogs Aven. I put an article out every week, whether it's a mock draft or a prospect profile. So you guys can find me there also on Instagram at Roman Around the League underscore pod. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, man. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Logan and Tyler for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with more Logan Paulson on Friday as we discuss his mock draft and a surprising pick for Washington. We get deep with the draft, folks. Talk to you next time.